Venus Express leaves for Earth's twin this week on Planetary Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Public Radio's travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan. Swedish-born Håkan Svedhem is project scientist for the first mission to Venus in more than 10 years. He'll tell us about the European Space Agency's powerful probe that will peer right through the thick clouds to the mysterious surface. And by interesting coincidence, Bruce Betts will mark the 30th anniversary of another Venusian milestone in today's edition of What's Up. Of course, we'll also name the latest winner of a Planetary Radio t-shirt in our space trivia contest. And Bruce has news of yet another competition, one with a grand prize you might like even better than the shirt off our backs. Let's get to this week's headlines. As we finished assembling the show, the two Chinese astronauts in the Shenzhou 6 capsule were preparing to return to Earth. They are scheduled for an early morning bump-down in Mongolia on Monday the 17th. NASA Administrator Michael Griffin congratulated the Chinese on their achievement. More about this second Sino-space mission during What's Up, including Bruce's attempt to pronounce their names. A little cramped, and the in-flight entertainment was confined to zero-G hijinks and looking out the window, but Gregory Olson says it was worth every penny of the $20 million ticket. The third space tourist returned to Earth along with the International Space Station's Expedition 11 crew, their Soyuz capsule landing safely in Kazakhstan on October 13th. NASA engineers say they've nearly got the shuttle external tank insulation problem licked and have scheduled tests of their solutions for the next few weeks. Just as big a factor in getting shuttle discovery back in orbit may be helping workers displaced by Hurricane Katrina to return home. Still up there circling our home planet is the Chandra Space Telescope, which has just found a surprise at the center of our galaxy. That's where a supermassive black hole is sucking in matter like the biggest bagless vacuum cleaner imaginable. Not a very friendly neighborhood for stars, you'd think, right? That's what astronomers used to think, too. Now, Chandra has used its X-ray vision to find a whole ring of stars surrounding that big black hole, right where they weren't expected. Competing theories are trying to explain why. Next up, Emily reports on the Great Red Spot's stormy but long-lived relationship with mighty Jupiter. I'll be back with Hokan Svedhem to talk about Venus Express in just a minute. Hi, I'm Emily Lakdawalla with questions and answers. A listener asked, What keeps Jupiter's great red spot confined to one location instead of moving around like Earth hurricanes? Earth has a relatively thin atmosphere above its lumpy surface. Earth's weather is very strongly influenced by what's on the ground, mountains, oceans, deserts, or snowy wastes. This surface variability gives Earth an unusually turbulent atmosphere. By contrast, Jupiter has no solid surface. It's all atmosphere. The most important factors influencing Jupiter's weather are the sunlight coming in from outside, the heat being radiated from inside, and its very fast rotation once every 10 hours. Because these parameters don't vary much with time, weather patterns on Jupiter are incredibly stable. 
The Great Red Spot in Jupiter's southern hemisphere is a storm that has been observed for the last 340 years. It does change, though. Its color has shifted over time, and in the last hundred years, it has shrunk by about half. What other stable features are in Jupiter's atmosphere? Stay tuned to Planetary Radio to find out. So much alike, and yet so very different. Venus is nearly the same size as our Earth. It's also our closest neighbor, except for the Moon. What happened to turn what may have been a pretty nice place into a swirling, acidic hell, hot enough at the surface to melt lead? ESA, the European Space Agency, will try to add a few more pieces to the Venusian puzzle when Venus Express begins orbiting the planet next April. Project scientist Hokan Svedham brings lots of experience to this new mission. The planetary surface and atmosphere expert has been a major contributor to previous projects, including the Huygens probe on Saturn's moon Titan. We asked him to join us from Europe for an overview of the Venus Express mission. Hokan, thank you very much for joining us on Planetary Radio at uh, what must be an increasingly busy time. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. First, uh, it's, uh, it's really much to do now, but uh, things are going very well. So that's, that's very nice activities we're doing, actually. What is the status of uh, Venus Express as we speak? Spacecraft has just been mounted on its launch vehicle adapter and been uh, mounted on the upper stage, which is called the fregat stage. These things together are called the upper composite. The fairing will be closed, uh, I believe, the day after tomorrow, and then it will be put on a small train taking it out to the integration hall just outside the launch pad. So everything is looking good for your launch, which is expected to take place uh, October 26. 26, that's correct, early in the morning, uh, our time here. And uh, where will you be? I will be uh, just a few kilometers away from the rocket and watch it with my eyes uh, ascending to the sky. That will be uh, very exciting, considering that you have been working on this mission for what, more than three years? Yes, a bit more than three years. That is what it has taken. In fact, that is a very short time to develop a a whole uh, space project. We have done it a little bit following a new concept, reusing many pieces we have had from previous projects, and therefore we've done it in such a short time. But indeed, it has been a very intense time. What we call in this country faster, better, cheaper. Uh, yes, in in that direction. Yeah, we think it has been uh, been a very cost-effective way, and it has indeed been fast and uh, better. We hope, yes. Uh, but you built a, a very uh, versatile spacecraft. Could you tell us a little bit about what you hope Venus Express will do when it reaches orbit around Venus in uh, April of next year? The first spacecraft to do that in, I think, ten years. Yes, it's more than ten years ago that was a spacecraft around uh, around Venus and. Uh, very nice to be back again on this, around this uh, exciting planet. Uh, we have very many uh, topics really to study there. Uh, of course, some of the major topics uh, like, uh, like the atmospheric dynamics are very challenging. We have this very high uh, rotation of the atmosphere around the planet, while the planet itself is, is very almost static. It's rotating at a very, very slow rate. Another uh, hot topic is, of course, the greenhouse effect that makes the planet being very hot. Was that a pun? A hot topic, I mean. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. Um, Let's talk about that that atmospheric circulation, first of all. Are there models? Has anyone proposed a reason why these incredibly fast uh, hurricane-force winds are moving so much faster than the planet underneath them? Yeah, people do try to model this, and uh, people are coming a bit on the way, but nobody so far has really got... uh, 
uh, good explanation. They have not really reached those very high speeds that we do have. It's, uh, of course, a, a question of, uh, of uh, calculating the, the momentum transfer that is, is, is done in the atmosphere where the air masses are, are moving uh, and transferring the momentum and accelerating the speed at these high altitudes, but uh, mm. still is not explained fully. You're also going to be looking for geological activity on the surface. Yes, this is uh, an interesting uh, area because uh, we know that uh, the surface of the planet is, is fairly young. It has been uh, more or less completely uh, remodeled uh, about 500 million years ago. This we have learned from the nice uh, radar images we have seen from the Magellan spacecraft that made a full, the American uh, mission that made a full uh, map of the surface topography. And from that we can deduce that the surface has been really changed completely. And this is something we want to focus a little bit on now on this mission. As you said, the Magellan mission uh, used radar to look through those clouds, but you actually have a camera that you're hoping will be able to peek through the haze. Yeah, this is one of the new things that was had been discovered quite recently, and um, it is possible to see down to the surface. We know now at some uh, near-infrared wavelengths where uh, actually... We see the, the thermal radiation from the hot surface of the planet coming up through the clouds, and thereby we can really see the surface. And this is uh, the first time we will map that on a systematic scale. There were um, images made, uh, very few, by the Galileo spacecraft and by the Cassini spacecraft when they flew by uh, Venus on the way to, to Jupiter and to Saturn uh, a number of years ago. But these are really the only uh, images from reasonable nearby, and they clearly demonstrate these capabilities. So we want to exploit that fully out now with these new instruments we have. As I read more about the capabilities of Venus Express and what you hope to accomplish, it started to occur to me that, that some of what you hope to do, including the work with this camera, has some parallels to what's been happening much farther out in the solar system at Saturn and in uh, particularly Titan, another cloud-shrouded body in our solar system, although one that's not quite as warm. Indeed, this is this is an interesting parallel, and I, I personally myself worked also with this mission uh, for, for several years before I started uh, with Venus Express, and it is it, it is amazing how many similarities you can find between these two completely different worlds. This very ice cold, uh, icy body Titan uh, with low temperature and uh, but still a fairly dense atmosphere, and the very very hot, high density. Uh, atmosphere of Venus. It's an interesting comparison to do. Well, they are both mysterious bodies, although soon, hopefully, uh, well, Titan is already much less mysterious, although still puzzling than it used to be. Hopefully, Venus Express will help to answer some of the questions we've uh, scientists have had for so many years about this planet uh, surrounded by clouds that, in so many ways, is so much like Earth, and maybe once upon a time was much more like Earth. Maybe we could take a break now and come back and talk about uh, not just the uh, Venus Express uh, spacecraft, but more of the mysteries of this planet, which uh, used to be thought of as a sister to Earth. Okay. And so we will uh, take that break and be back with the project scientists for the European Space Agency's Venus Express mission, leaving in just a few days for Venus. He is Hokan Svedhem, and we'll return with him right after this. This is Buzz Aldrin. When I walked on the moon, I knew it was just the beginning of humankind's great adventure in the solar system. That's why I'm a member of the Planetary Society, the world's largest space interest group. The Planetary Society is helping to explore Mars, 
We're tracking near-Earth asteroids and comets. We sponsor the search for life on other worlds, and we're building the first-ever solar sail. We didn't just build it. We attempted to put that first solar sail in orbit, and we're going to try again. You can read about all our exciting projects and get the latest space exploration news in depth at the Society's exciting and informative website, planetary.org. You can also preview our full-color magazine, The Planetary Report. It's just one of our many member benefits. Want to learn more? Call us at 1-877-PLANETS. That's toll-free, 1-877-752-6387. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. Our guest on Planetary Radio is Hokan Svedhem. He is the ESA's project scientist for the Venus Express mission, which is about to make its express journey, lasting, oh, what is it, about five months, I think? to uh, Venus, arriving there hopefully in April of 2006, going into orbit and beginning to examine that planet in uh, ways that no spacecraft has ever done before and no spacecraft has had the opportunity in over 10 years. I guess I guess the last visitor was, as you said, the Magellan spacecraft. Yes, this is, this is right, 10 years ago. You do have a lot of instruments on Venus Express, and you, you were talking about these interesting parallels with uh, what has been happening at Titan, circling uh, Saturn. Another experiment that I read about that I believe has also taken place in the Saturnian system uh, uses this uh, the technique of occultation. Could you talk about that? Yeah, this is we're doing with our telecommunication system. We are sending a, a, an electrical signal towards the Earth, and while we are going in orbit... Actually, Titan is sort of coming, sorry, in this case, Venus is coming in, in our way, in the way that uh, the signal we are sending will be transmitted through the atmosphere and therefore it will be modified. And by looking at the signal here on Earth, how, how it has been modified, we can deduce a number of parameters. For the type of uh, radio occultations uh, measurements we do, we particularly we look for the, the pressure and the temperature variations uh, in, the, in the upper atmosphere, maybe down to depths as far down as uh, 30 kilometers. Do you also have instruments that will tell you, uh, tell all of us more about the composition of that atmosphere and, and perhaps what's happening on uh, the surface of Venus? Yes, uh, the composition of the atmosphere is, of course, a very interesting uh, topic. We have uh, a different type of occultation measurement that is done by doing actually star occultations where, where we look at the starlight, how that is modified when it goes through the atmosphere. And that will give us uh, a very good information of the, of the upper part of the atmosphere, what the composition is. We have different instruments that look uh, down at the planet, spectrometers that really look at different wavelengths and uh, see what the features are of these wavelengths. And from that, we can deduce the composition of the atmosphere, actually in three dimensions, because we are doing this, uh, this study at wavelengths which penetrate at different depths in the atmosphere. So we're trying to model the atmosphere in three dimensions. I'm glad you mentioned that. I saw that mention of three-dimensional analysis on the uh, on the website, and I wasn't sure what that meant. But how fascinating that you can actually uh, localize the uh, the level of uh, uh, the atmosphere that you're uh, taking a look at. Talk about some of the other instruments that are on um, on Venus Express, and will they be helping us to determine this long-held theory that what's happened on Venus is uh, is indeed a runaway greenhouse effect? Yes, we're trying to, uh, to, trying to find this out. Uh, one of the key points there is that we, we believe that uh, in the earlier uh, times, uh, right after the formation of the planets, there was indeed a, a very large similarity between the Earth and Venus. And we knew, of course, that still Earth is a very pleasant place, but Venus is not anymore. 
we, we know that most likely there has been water on the planet, and uh, because of some little uh, disturbance in the system, more and more water started to evaporate into the atmosphere, thereby heating up uh, the surface even more, so more water escaped. And finally, uh, the water even escaped away from the planet, and we are trying to measure these remnants of water and also the isotopes of uh, hydrogen. And by looking at that, we can see how much water there is likely to have been in the past. So is it fair to say that Venus once was much more like Earth? We believe so, yes. But, uh, of course, we need to do the real measurements to really prove that that is the case. But it's very likely that it should have been like that, because if it wouldn't, it would be very strange. How how should Venus form, in a way, a similar place in the solar system, but uh, in a very different way to us? This is not likely. Is there other instrumentation that you might uh, want to talk about, share with the audience? We have, of course, a, a camera that will give us a very good uh, global view of the planet, and uh, also uh, it will focus on some uh, specific things, like, for example, the, the unknown uh, the substance that we have found in the top layers of the clouds at about 60 kilometers. And this, this gives a structure that one can see in the ultraviolet uh, wavelength region that we don't know what it is. I was, I was going to ask you about that. They are described as mysterious on the Venus Express website. Of course, we'll provide the link to that website on our own site. Does anyone have any idea what these uh, structures might be? Yeah, there are some speculations, but it's really nothing that has been, nobody has been able to make any conclusions on this. And uh, there are even people that are speculating that there could be some biolo- biological region, because uh, these areas uh, where we find these substances is, is in the, an area where the atmospheric pressure is approximately one atmosphere, similar to the Earth's, and also the temperature are much more benign than uh, lower down in the atmosphere. Biological activity. <laughs> yeah, I, what do you think? Well, my, I, I don't think so myself. So this is uh, not, uh, not a mission to investigate the biological environment uh, on Venus. But uh, these, were, these are one of the wild speculations, I would say. But wouldn't that be interesting? What, what do you hope to find, either in the atmosphere or perhaps down on the surface? I mean, what would be an especially exciting result for you? I can see many exciting uh, discoveries because we have the potential with all this instrumentation and this, uh, this spacecraft to do new uh, discoveries. But I think particularly interesting would be to see if the surface is still uh, is there's active volcanism on the surface because uh, of the young, young surface. We think there should be one, but uh, we haven't seen anything like that yet. I guess, uh, well, you wouldn't uh, call it a, a recent uh, bit of activity. There certainly is evidence that something was going on down there, what, half a billion years ago? Yes, this is true. It's not clear completely why this has happened, but uh, there was a more or less complete uh, change of the surfaces by, by massive volcanic eruptions and, and uh, probably earthquakes, where really the inner uh, material from the planet were seeping up, covering the surface in a way that uh, all traces of old craters and so were completely wiped out. Mm. How long, uh, if all goes well, will Venus Express uh, be uh, circling Venus, returning this unprecedented data? Uh, the normal mission we have set is uh, for two Venusian days, uh, and that is uh, about 500 Earth days. Uh, we have the capabilities on the spacecraft to extend that for another 500 days, and after that we will see. Well, we'll wish you luck, and at least we know uh, one thing. You won't have uh, any trouble finding sunlight to uh, power the spacecraft. No, it's a very good place for that. We have small solar panels, but very powerful. Well, Hokan, thank you so much, and we wish you, of course, uh, the greatest of luck and success with this mission. Lifting off on October 26, uh, have a wonderful time there at Baikonur uh, watching the launch of Venus Express.
Thank you very much. And I hope we can check back with you uh, after you've arrived at Venus and uh, start to uh, have some data to uh, take a look at. You're sure welcome to do that. Hokan Svedhem is the European Space Agency project scientist for Venus Express, which uh, departs for that planet, that still very mysterious planet, even though we've had a number of spacecraft take a look at it. Hopefully we'll start to see some of those mysteries solved when Venus Express arrives at that mysterious sister planet to our own when it arrives there in April of 2006. We'll be right back with more Planetary Radio and Bruce Betts with this week's edition of What's Up after this return visit from Emily. I'm Emily Lakdawalla, back with Q&A. The Great Red Spot is not the only persistent feature in Jupiter's atmosphere. Jupiter's globe is striped with alternating light and dark bands. Astronomers call the light stripes zones and the dark stripes belts. The light zones contain winds that travel from west to east at 100 meters per second, while the dark belts travel in the opposite direction at a similar speed. Where zones and belts meet, there is a huge amount of wind shear. Jupiter's storms, including the Great Red Spot, tend to sit on zone-belt boundaries, spinning in place as the zone whips past on one side and the belt whips past on the other. Like the Great Red Spot, Jupiter's zones and belts have remained remarkably constant, although their boundaries do wander north and south across the planet with time. Their colors shift, too, from white and pale oranges, yellows, and greens in the zones to various reds and browns in the belts. All of these features and changes are easily visible through a telescope, making Jupiter one of the most rewarding targets available to the backyard astronomer. Got a question about the universe? Send it to us at planetaryradio at planetary.org. And now here's Matt with more Planetary Radio. Time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Here he is, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. Fanfare, please. It's <laughs> He provides his own. Of course, I should have known. Bruce Betts, the Director of Projects for the Planetary Society. Did I say that twice? It bears repeating. It sure does. Have fanfare. We'll talk to you. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, Venus Express, another exciting mission, and there is an angle on that mission that uh, I didn't. we did not talk about during the interview. But let me talk about please. it. Please. We are uh, the Planetary Society is collaborating with the European Space Agency to run a contest uh, about the Venus Express mission. It's an art contest where you can come and enter uh, your entry, whether you're an adult or whether you are a youth. We have a couple different categories uh, to give us your artwork depicting what a bird's eye view of the surface of Venus may look like. You can find all the details on planetary.org. They'll be appearing within the next few days if you don't see them when you first go there. And uh, it'll be good stuff. The grand prize winner will win a trip to Germany to go to ESOC, their facility that will be tracking the mission for Venus orbital insertion in April. That's so great. That's That's even better than a T-shirt. <laughs> well, then a regular T-shirt. I don't know about a planetary radio T-shirt. Good point. Yeah, but oh, but hey, I bet we could give him one though. You win the art contest, we will give you, and you ask for it, we'll give you a planetary radio T-shirt if you wear it in mission operations. Oh, right? that would be cool. Yeah, exactly. I would love that. Okay, what else? Seeing Venus, it's visible in the night sky. Go Boy, out is and it? See it. Oh, so bright, low in the west, shortly after sunset. But Mars, not as bright as Venus, never is, but. Brighter than any of the stars in the sky now. It is uh, rising around 8 p.m. in the east. It is high up 
by you know later in the evening. Go out, look at it. It is orangish. It is getting brighter through the end of October, the very end of October, coming up on its opposition in early November, and it's really cool looking. If you have small, if you have a nice uh, amateur telescope, you can go out and actually look for features. You can find websites that tell you what part of Mars you're looking at at what time of the evening on what day. And Saturn, let us not forget Saturn up. No. Uh, rising around uh, 1 a.m. or so in the east. It will be high up in the east, about halfway up the sky before dawn. And still very bright. And still very bright. Not yeah. not, uh, not as bright as those other two puppies, but still very bright. <laughs> and uh, definitely, I'd say, the coolest in a telescope. Let's move on to uh, this. Oh, well, one other side note, which is not something you see with the naked eye or of significance to it, but uh, our own Emily Lockdwalla has informed me that indeed it is icy satellite season for the <laughs> Cassini mission at Saturn. They are in orbits that are taking them past the icy satellites, providing unbelievable images. Please check out planetary.org slash Saturn and, uh, and see what they're finding. It's yeah. just gorgeous. Take an icy satellite to lunch. Yeah, exactly. Okay, out of this week in space history, the 30th anniversary, Matt, 30th anniversary of Venera 9 landing on Venus. Mm. Survived about 53 minutes on the surface. Venera 9's claim to fame, it was the first spacecraft to return images from another planet. That, and it's that, a, a terrific mission. Took pictures, yeah. They took pictures. They had other landers that had survived on the surface. This was the first to return images, and it did beat out Viking by a, a year or so on Mars for returning images from another planetary surface. Big so. week for Venus. Speaking of big weeks, big week for the uh, Chinese space program. They've put up Shenzhou 6 with astronauts Fei, Zhonglong, and Ni Haisheng. You did it. My apologies <laughs> for whatever mispronunciation. Uh, yes, the uh, the second set of Chinese astronauts to go into orbit, two of them flying around at the time of our recording, supposed to land uh, shortly, testing out their system, had a successful launch. And uh, they join uh, up in space, William MacArthur and Valerie Tokarev that are on the International Space Station. Uh, come back to that. Pondering with the Trivia Contest, stay tuned. But right now on to Random Space Fact! You know, the Stardust spacecraft flew through the coma of uh, Comet Wild. It was being pummeled by a million particles every second mm-hmm. at the height of its its attack. Uh, some of them, 12 particles, some larger than a bullet, actually penetrated through the top layer of their shield. As uh, And, you know, fortunately they had lots of layers. The, this is that wonderful shield. The Whipple, Whipple shield. Whipple shield, of course. Mr. Don't Whipple himself. the spacecraft. Uh-huh. Yes, that one. <laughs> All right, on to the trivia contest. We asked you before, what astronaut or astronauts have flown in space the most number of times? How'd we do? Long-time listener to the radio show. He enters every week. He always has nice things to say. Then we like him. (laughs) Dominic Turley. Dominic Turley's name finally came up again. He said, Jerry L. Ross and Franklin... Chang Diaz have both flown seven times. Dominic in Vancouver, British Columbia, you get yourself a Planetary Radio t-shirt, and thanks for playing. Fabu Fabuloso. Hey, for those of you who want to win a Planetary Radio t-shirt, answer the following question. What is the largest number of people 
who have been in space at one time. So right now we've got hmm. four from three different countries that are up there on two different spacecraft. What's the largest number of people who have been in space at one time? Go to planetary.org slash radio. Find out how to send us your entry. And uh, if you can, tell us where you listen to Planetary Radio. And we do have people starting to tell us that Thank they're you listening much. on such and such a station or to the podcast or whatever. We appreciate it. Get your entry to us by the 24th of October. That's Monday, the 24th of October at 2 p.m. Pacific time. All right. We done? I think we are. All right, everybody go out there, look up the night sky, and think about Velcro. <laughs> Thank you, and good night. Ah, wait a minute. There's some Velcro here. Hang on. <laughs> there wow, you go. Nice response. Yep. Well, he's Bruce Betts. He's the director of projects for the Planetary Society. He sticks with us every week here for What's Up. Join us next week when author, poet, and playwright Ray Bradbury returns to Planetary Radio. It's a more personal conversation with Ray than we've enjoyed in the past, focused on his upcoming reception of the Thomas O. Paine Memorial Award for the Advancement of Human Exploration of Mars. Ray will join fellow honoree James Cameron at the November 12 banquet celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Planetary Society. There's more information at the Society's website, planetary.org. And you can trust that we'll have our Planetary Radio microphones there as well. Planetary Radio is a production of the Planetary Society, which is solely responsible for its content. Have a great week, everyone. 